My name is Dan Brown. I'm here today again with A Lens A Day, conversations about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the scintillating Jeff Eaton. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Dan. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited. Um, so uh, let's get right into process. Uh, you, um, uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time, um, and uh, the IA-related tweets I see from you are all very nitty-gritty, very technical, very deep, and I really appreciate that. I do feel like there's sort of a deep um, technical aspect uh, to this to this work, and yet we've got to work with other folks uh, on the product team that we're working with um, who may not have that the kind of same. And we wouldn't expect them to have the same technical chops in terms of information architecture. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk to me a little bit about what are some things that you do to bring people along? that journey with you? What are some of the ways that you can help folks without the same um, technical expertise in IA uh, get integrated into your process? So, you know, I I think like a lot of people who, you know, work in this kind of stuff, I spent a lot of like my early to mid career sort of banging my head against the wall of like, what is the perfect form to try to capture stuff in? What is like the the ultimate expression of the ideas we're trying to work with so that I can just work on that and that in, you know, what's what, like the platonic form of IA artifact that I can attempt to just dive straight into. And over time, I think what, what really became clear was that, you know, there isn't one, not just like, you know, we're all just, you know, stumbling blindly in the dark, maybe, but um, more that like, because of the nature of the work that we do, it's multifaceted. It's complicated things that may not have a single unified expression that can be put to paper. It's usually more of like the sort of tesseract of weird ideas. And the artifacts we're building tend to be like different angles of looking at it. It's one of the reasons why like when when you introduced the IA lenses card, I was so excited about it because that idea of having different lenses to look at problem through felt very similar to this like sort of aha moment I was working towards that there's lots of different angles to look at it from. And talking to the different groups that are involved in a large project where you need to do IA work, like, you know, content modeling or complex structural mapping of, you know, a a complicated website or whatever, talking to all of them isn't just a matter of like extracting information from them and translating it from whatever their discipline vocabulary is into like the, the real IA vocabulary that you're going to be using. It's, it's about actually figuring out like, what is that angle that they are primarily looking at it through? Like, what is the, the facet of this problem that they seem to have a, a sort of natural grasp of because of the angle that their department or their discipline or whatever has to come at it? And using as many of those as possible to like get a fuller picture of what we're, what we're trying to work on is something that um, really has paid off. And sometimes that just means using different vocabulary. Sometimes it means just stepping back a couple of you know, steps and 
asking more open-ended questions early on with that team. Like, how do you understand this stuff? Not just, oh, what categories you organize these things into, or what's the entry point that everybody comes to? It's just, you know, like, how do you look at this thing that we're working on? And that can really, really help a lot. I'm literally wrestling with this problem now. And sometimes, and by sometimes, I mean, in this particular time, uh, it didn't become very obvious that we had different perspectives on this until I was showing wireframes, right? And um, this is one of the sort of ongoing concerns uh, or challenges, I think, of, of our work is that for some people, the, the abstract doesn't become real until they see it on a yeah. screen. And sometimes for me, that often feels too late. It's not too late, but it feels too late. Do you find this as well, that, um, that in order to kind of um, help kind of help people answer those questions, those open-ended questions that you have. Sometimes you need to show them some kind of artifact that is essentially there just to provoke them and and help them ground their thoughts a little bit more. Yeah. It's it's almost like the, the vision test approach. You know, sometimes the only way to actually get people to zero in on something, especially when they're like, using artifacts that aren't familiar to them as part of their iterative it, it, as part of their iterative process is like that how about this how about this is this closer is this closer and i think that's why like you know in, in ia there's so much emphasis on using like lightweight artifacts that are easy to iterate on as much as possible early on rather than like here are these incredibly high fidelity photoshop files that we've spent three months working on and we've had interns you know sweating over it's not that that's bad per se it's that when you need to do that oh is this closer what if we change this kind of stuff if you've got you know let's say optimistically like a couple of days between each iteration of that, you know, that it's impossibly difficult to get that conversational approach to the problem going um, compared to like, you know, even like the simple, you know, here's some boxes and lines and we've shaded in a couple of them and said, well, you know, is this kind of what you're thinking of? What if somebody, what if X was kind of over here with this stuff, you know, that kind of, that kind of iteration can usually get people into that zone a lot easier than imagine a page where like things were spatially related. Like, right. Uh, I like that you called it a conversational approach in addition to an iterative approach. That really resonates with me. And I think it resonates with me because um, the work is uh abstract, can be abstract, but also something you said earlier, which is we're really trying to understand their perspective uh, and integrate a lot of different perspectives uh, in the work that we do. And so through conversation, I feel like uh, conversation is the best way to kind of uh, really grok someone's perspective on something. Like the more they're talking and engaging with you, I think the the increasingly clear someone's perspective uh, becomes because they're using a lot of the vocabulary and constructions that that make sense. In this uh, day and age, where things where remoteness is sort of uh, uh, the day to day. Um, and that kind of conversation is not as fluid necessarily. Do you find the work is now 
harder? Do you find the work is is more complex because or or harder to kind of get the engine going because you can't engage with folks in a more conversational way? You know, I, it, it's funny because as you were starting to talk about like you know the, the uh, an explicitly conversational approach, the first thing that I thought was, boy, that's really that's really a lot harder these days, and <laughs> the, thus the question. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I think that it's not, it's definitely not impossible. And, you know, over the past, like, you know, year, year and a half, you know, we've seen a lot of really good tooling and practice start, you know, becoming more widely discussed, like, not just how do you use something like a tool, like, say, Miro, or, you know, Figma, or whatever, not just produce designs, not just to do critique or review sessions but like how do we use this like as part of a dialogue like what if we instead of just sending around emails or even just like going into slack or jumping into zoom and trying to you know hammer things out you know how can we capture that sort of we're all doing this in front of a whiteboard moment that feels very fluid and natural and you know i it's always dangerous to call something intuitive, but, you know, it, it feels very natural in that moment where you're like sketching out arrows and, you know, saying, does it look like this? What about this? Where should we put this? Um, and figuring out how to use digital tools more like that, you know, a, as part of that flow, um, it, it, it's happening, but slowly. I think the like facilitating a group right now feels like one of the trickiest um, things in digital because the dynamics of like who's talking, who's at the front of the room, do people feel comfortable jumping in and, you know, saying, oh, actually, or something like that, you know, that kind of stuff feels like it's amplified massively and you have to really, um, you have to go into it with a game plan. You have to be a little better about like prepping some of the, you know, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, people are going to need to fall back on once they start doing this. Like, you know, we, we use Miro quite a bit at Autogram. So like having a couple of prepped boards with like, you know, there's stickies already there, the, you know, the controlled vocabularies that we know are there in three parts of the organization. We've got those tucked over to the sides in case somebody needs to pull those in. So just like having some of that groundwork there so it doesn't turn into, oh, well, we'll take 10 minutes for us to prep this document for us to all iterate on. That kind of stuff has helped like just from a, you know, tangible, you know, how to use a tool standpoint. But yeah, it, it's getting used to it and being more deliberate and conscious about, you know, like managing that stuff in digital context has definitely been necessary. Um, so are there any IA problems that you're working on today that you can share with us? Um, yeah, I think so. One of the, one of the, I think one of the interesting ones uh, that we're chewing on right now is working with um, a large organization that, you know, they've been around for you know, a decade or two, and um, they started with a small suite of you know, really successful products, um, you know, digital products that, you know, they sold, you know, purchase, get, install, and use. And slowly over time, they've iterated to... Um, 
you know, more of a subscription cloud model, stuff like that. They've, you know, their product suite has expanded, but it's all been very organic and different parts of the organization have specialized in, you know, working with different ones or working with different types of customers and stuff like that, that all, you know, have different needs and slight permutations. And now they're trying to both clean up and prepare for the future of what their product line looks like as it evolves. And from a taxonomy perspective, um, we've found that like organic growth has gotten them to a point where things like, so what are the kinds of products you have has 15 different answers and, and they only have 15 products, you know, like, you know, the, the different, and this is where that perspective issue comes in, you know, it's figuring out not just what is the canonical list of things that you sell and who are they for and, you know, what purpose do they serve, but like, what are the different groups that have very different perspectives on the roles that each of those products play, you know, what different types of customers have that. And with a huge set of things like, you know, uh, a retail, you know, a retail store and how it organizes its products. It's like, ah, there's thousands of products, you know, there's going to be some outliers that just don't fit in things, but the important thing is batching them up correctly, but you zero in on like, you know, it's a small product suite, you know, you, you, you know, you can't leave any of them out because they're all important parts of the picture, but there isn't really a single, way to break them down into, you know, which one plays what role, figuring out how to tackle like um, discovery and support and communicating like the, the relationships between the elements in the product suite, and how they all support certain goals that a user might be trying to figure out how to accomplish. That's been both really challenging and really rewarding, you know, chewing on that. So it, it, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> That's great. Um, it, uh, uh, I'm going to attempt um, for now the 30th time to make a meaningful transition from what you were just talking about to the lens uh, that you had picked. And I, I do feel like um, when we talk about products and suites of products where we've got sort of an interesting uh, gestalt uh, of the idea that um, a suite of products is in and of itself a product that we can uh, buy um, uh, because we're buying this collection, uh, but it is also a container that holds other products. Uh, and so I would imagine that that kind of perspective is helpful when you're thinking through this problem, uh, which brings us to the lens. I wonder if you could sort of say what lens uh, you picked and uh, maybe talk, maybe describe it in your own words. Um, so the lens that I picked was topic versus container. Um, and, you know, the, the core idea, at least, you know, what I've always taken away from it is that almost any idea or, you know, simply speaking, like a piece of content, you know, on a website or whatever, um, can be um, an, a thing in and of itself that someone comes to look, you know, look at or read or, you know, uses as like a primary thing they're seeking. Um, but it often can also be a container for other things like that. Um, and especially when we think about translating them into like a content management system or something like that, um, that yes, both, 
answer is usually the trickiest because oftentimes materializing fuzzy IA concepts into a real CMS or a, a real, um, you know, whatever infrastructure you're trying to actually, you know, put these things into, it forces choices, you know, it, very rarely do, you know, does, you know, the, the software, like you say, yeah, this is all kinds of stuff, you know, it, it, could, it could be either one of those. So sometimes figuring out which one is the, you know, is this primarily a thing that people seek, you know, a topic that people say, oh, I need to figure out X, or this is the terminal point of a question that I have, or is it a category of things, a useful handle that people can use to get closer to the topic they need, you know, which, which is its primary, you know, which is its primary role. Um, that's that topic versus container lens has always been really useful for me. Um, you know, even before the IA lenses, uh, you know, came out, it was one of the first questions that we would often ask clients about content that we were working with. Like, is this um, the question we would often start with? Like, is this a thing that you think people are coming to you for? Is this something that they're seeking out because they want what that thing is? Um, when I was at Lullabot, uh, we often worked with like media and publishing clients. And um, an example was like um, shows versus episodes um, for a TV network. There's a tendency to think of all of it as highly important content, especially when you're managing brand and you know, personality and stuff like that. But all, you know, oftentimes we found that like the show, it was a, it was very much in that container space. There was tons of content there, was, you know, a lot of attention paid to it, but ultimately what most people were looking for was stuff that that show got them closer to finding like, um, you know, the season two of um, Real Housewives of Atlanta on, you know, the, the Bravo site, for example, wasn't the terminal point of what someone was looking for. They wanted to find out about a new episode or about um, a particular news story that had come out. So those end sort of atoms of content that they were seeking might be under that, you know, that sort of show umbrella. Um, but it was mostly, a, you know, it, it was its primary use was to make sure that things were together, to make sure that like things were in like places and things that made sense together were together. And, you know, that, that container content made people go, ah, of course, that's where the thing I'm looking for would be or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I think in, as the, the meat of that lens, I think, is... Um, about asking tricky questions about the crossover points. When is this a topic? When is this a container? This thing you talk about as a container actually has pages and pages of documentation to go with it. So it is its own thing. Do we need to tease that stuff apart or are we comfortable with it living in the middle zone? You know, figuring out like, how to navigate the, the gray area between a perfect platonic taxonomy in which, you know, this is a term and it contains things and the things are different. And, you know, that, that was, that's very, 
um, instructive, you know, teasing out those questions. I think one of the first act, the the first project I ever worked on with Karen McGrain um, was, you know, I, I was deep in like the CMS development space at the time, and it was the first time I'd ever really had a chance to like talk turkey about taxonomy with you know with anyone who didn't think of it as a CMS feature, but really thought of it as like a conceptual way you approach problems. And I was talking about these two different pieces of data that you know we were storing that were stored in very different ways. One was technically taxonomy, and the other one was just a property of the uh, you know piece of content. And um, and uh, Karen made some comment about like, oh yeah, well we need to take this taxonomy stuff and we need to you know use it for some faceted browsing interface. And I'm like, oh no no no, well that's taxonomy and that's not. And she just sort of got this look at her face. She's like, Jeff, Jeff. If you're using it to organize things, it's taxonomy. And it was just it's like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, that 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 if you're using it like a category, it's a category, whether you acknowledge it or not. You know, those kinds of crossovers I think are very interesting. And that's one of the reasons I love that topic versus the container lens. It's an easy way to step back and start looking at the stuff and say, okay. What about this angle? When do you use this as a way to get people closer to what they want rather than, you know, rather than is the end point? When do other things fall underneath it rather than just being peers to it and stuff like that? It's, you know, it's, it's not the be all end all, but it's, it's significant. I, when I'm talking to uh, clients about structures, I often rely on a tree metaphor. Mm -hmm. And I'm super clear that sometimes we're talking about the leaves on the tree and sometimes we're talking about the branches of the tree. But what this lens forces is the idea that um, leaves can be branches, right? Which is not something that one should say out loud to other people who are not Jeff. Um, and uh, it does make me wonder, even about this lens, just some of the things that you're saying, this the systems that we design ultimately don't care whether something is a, a topic or a destination, right? That we could design systems to be sort of um, infinitely recursive, right? And think of things as both topics and destinations. Um, and maybe that this framing is ultimately problematic, uh, that we should not be thinking about the spaces that we design in these terms. Um, because ultimately everything is a yes, both everything is a, a yes, both. And the, and, uh, that as information becomes more complex, as we're trying to model, uh, infinitely more, um, intricate, uh, spaces that this framing will hold us back in some way. I, I think it can. Um, but again, it, it comes back to that, um, different angles to look at the problem and different perspectives thing. Um, Cause I think there, there is value in asking which one is it? How do you treat it in different cases? Because those constraints I think are often necessary especially when we've got humans working day to day in the production and creation of the actual stuff that will populate especially like a large digital project. Um, being able to say, 
this is for organizing, this is for documenting, you know, so sometimes those kinds of guide guidelines, uh, guardrails maybe can be very, very useful. Um, it, but knowing where we, where to stretch that and what cases we want to say, and here's the special one, you know, um, it can have a huge impact long-term on how the information evolves and how it develops. One of my favorite stories is um, like the early origins of Vox Media's um, platform because um, they started out as SB Nation, uh, a sports message board, essentially. It was a community website where people got together and talked about you know their favorite teams. And very early on, one of the initial technical decisions they made was that there was no distinction between an article on the site and the comments on the site in terms of the underlying stuff that it was stored as. So in theory, um, a really good comment could just be elevated to the front page as if it were a feature article. You know, it might have different stuff in it. It might be treated different in a different way. But like that article versus comment distinction was a place where they decided they were going to invest technical energy in the yes and rather than the A or B. And it ended up having a huge impact on the underlying architecture of a bunch of other stuff that they built on top of that. Um, and led them down a much more um, like mix and match component content architecture than I think they ever would have if you know they had you know gone a more traditional. You got your articles and you got your comments, and you know one is nested in the other. That that strict approach, I don't think would have laid the either the technical or the conceptual groundwork in the same way, and like. That was a choice they made about one thing and it shaped something. It's, it's not necessarily what we have to do with everything, but like thinking hard about it with that lens and saying, where do we, where do we want that flexibility or that fluidity to lie? Right. Um, it can really, it can, it can shape how things are going to evolve for years. Right. Uh, sometimes I think of my job as an information architect to um, see categories where uh, none existed before or see categories where see distinctions uh, mm -hmm. that people sort of make inherently, but have never sort of said out loud uh, explicitly. And one of the things, and I love finding those. I love, I love making sort of like, intuitive explicit. <laughs> right. Right. I love sort of interrogating someone to say, Oh, so when you say this, what you really mean is, these two possible things, but you are making a distinction that you don't ever need to say out loud because uh, you intuit them, as you as you say. Um, but what you're talking about makes me think uh, that sometimes we need to exercise judgment as to whether we then, even once we understand all of those distinctions, whether we manifest them in the systems that we're designing, and that uh, by by putting them in the systems that we're designing, we're making a very explicit decision to highlight one distinction versus uh, another. Mm -hmm. But seeing those is hard, right? Seeing those distinctions, I think, is hard. And making those decisions about what to include and what not to include is hard. So one of the lines of questioning that I've been asking folks is, how do you help people who are new to this? How do you, how do you help folks who maybe kind of came up through a bootcamp uh, UX course that neglected information architecture? Um, how do you help them apply this lens? So if you were coaching 
a designer newer to the field uh, to use the topic versus container lens, what might you say to them to help them look at their work from this perspective? Well, that's tricky. Um, I, I would probably say that a useful starting point is to treat everything as equal. You know, it, you know, in the, in the classic, we've got a bunch of nouns on post-its and we haven't sorted them yet way. Um, but then start teasing through why and how questions. Like, how do you think these things relate to each other? How do you think someone uses X in accomplishing a task? Um, you know, why do you think this kind of thing is getting four times as much engagement as this thing? You know, like using the how do you think these things support each other? How do you think someone uses this? How do you think um, someone, you know, passes through this particular piece of information in this digital tool you're designing in route to accomplishing their task? And using that to tease out those distinctions between, um, you know, I guess the the fundamental way that I think of topic versus container is like um, destinations versus waypoints, you know, like uh, topics are like what people are trying to get to because of some need they have and containers are how we make it easier to find or ensure that you're at the right topic or things like that. Um, and walking people through the process, getting them to think about that how does this fit into the big picture of the thing we're making and how people use it rather than just this is an atomic thing that we are designing in isolation um that can, and to me at least that's really the like the building block of making those finer distinctions you know understanding how it's used and how different things support each other or differ in how people are using them does that make sense uh, I think so. I think it's. I think that's good <laughs> advice, right? Sort of obviously putting everything in the context of usage is crucial, um, and then asking yourself for any given noun: is the value is the main value of this noun helping me to find something else, or is the yeah. main value of this noun uh, as a uh, a flag for this? You you found what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think uh, that is a a helpful way to kind of um, uh, break down this lens as one way of looking at, as you put it, a set of post-its with nouns. So, yep, and, and and you know, it's it's turtles all the way down too, because a lot of like media and I guess what we talk about is micro content. Um, you can think of as existing inside of a container that is like an article or a story or, um, you know, a, a form or something like that. Even if those smaller elements aren't meant to exist on their own as a standalone thing, you know, you can start saying, well, what if um, a news story it can also be a container for other small pieces of supporting stuff. And then you can sort of iterate your way into a more modular way of breaking down stuff that requires a lot of reuse. It's yeah. It, 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 anyway, topics versus containers. I'm, I, I'm, I have always 
loved that sort of compositional way of looking at things and one of my favorite lenses. Um, so normally I would leave it there, but you and I have something in common that I want to kind of highlight, especially based on something that you said earlier. Uh, we are both avid role-playing game players. Guilty as charged. And um, have you have you moved some of your games online at all? Have you been I, I have, you know, some of them. It, it Again, you know, like the whiteboarding and conversation stuff, yes. there's a lot of nuances that can be very difficult to translate, but we're getting better at it. That's why, that's why I brought it up because of what you were saying earlier about facilitating online and, you know, making sure that everyone has a turn uh, to speak and everyone has uh, the tools to visualize what they need to visualize. Those strike me as things that I have to do as, yes, uh, information architect running a client meeting, but also as someone who's running uh, a role-playing game are there do you use the same tools or are you finding different tools better for running a game so well okay so this this this, i promise i won't go down a rabbit hole with this but this touches on something that's that we've been thinking really hard about at autogram in particular with uh with um like design system and component content and how they have to like work together in a real world. Traditionally, like you've got two teams that tend to build those things in total isolation. And then, you know, they hurl them at each other at top speed four weeks before integration. Everything scary. Um, But one of the things that we've tried to walk some of our clients through is this idea of thinking very hard about what job certain things are doing from, you know, visual, visual presentation decisions to um, the order and structure of particular stories. Like, why is that decision being made? Why, you know, why is um, a particular story featured versus not featured? Is it just because you've got a featured slot and something had to go there? Is it because it's the only way to say this is important? Um, And thinking about, decisions that we normally see as visual or design related and thinking them as thinking of them as part of a system of communication like we want to con- we want to communicate emphasis in a context or we want to communicate priority and importance of pieces of news or support documents or we want to you know communicate hierarchy in the case of you know the topic and container Um, You know, those are kinds of messages that visual design communicates, even if it's not explicitly spelled out in the text. And that's where I think a lot of metadata comes in that can inform a well-designed, well-created design system and bring it back to this RPG, you know, running a tabletop game question. I think it has forced a lot of people like myself, who have run games fairly intuitively to think hard about what purpose is this serving? You know, when we do the, you know, hour and a half in snack break, uh, you know, what, what is that? Is that something I'm using as like a narrative beat? Is it, uh, you know, when I, when I drop the cliffhanger, is that something I need to think about? You know, when I set the atmosphere of the room and I've got music playing, well, we're on a low bandwidth connection. And if I've got music playing, it's going to drown out my, you know, my speaking in a way that, you know, the, 
a, you know, a, a room that we're playing in does it. So how do I accomplish that environment, you know, that ambient mood setting that I want to do? You know, it's like, what purpose does having a big map on the center of the table serve? Is it because we're doing tactical stuff with miniatures or do I just want to give a sense of scale? What are the things I'm trying to accomplish? And that ends up rippling into tools, tool decisions like, can we just meet in the Slack room and, you know, we all just, you know, type or do we need like something official like roll 20 where we can keep track of our sheets and, it, and thinking of it as what do we want to tease out? What do we want to accomplish? What are the jobs that each one of those, you know, accoutrements and features is, you know, doing for us that way of thinking about like the, the gaming experience and running a game does feel very similar to like the work that we do in IA. Jeff, that was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on this little uh, journey. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure.